Our Psalter reading is from Psalm 145, verses 10 through 16, and can be found on page 524 in the Bibles we provide, and on page 92 of our Children Bibles. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 49, and can be found on pages 885 in the Bibles we provide, and on page 260 of our children Bibles. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate before them. He said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of all these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. This is the gospel of Christ. Good morning. This morning, we're beginning a new series. It's kind of a new series. It's kind of exactly what we've been talking about for the last four weeks. Andrew's been preaching through just the mission of the church, but we're looking at the book of Acts, and we're going to be in the book of Acts through the end of August. And so before we start, before we read the passage this morning, I want to give a very brief intro. Uh, one is to the book of Acts. Um, Luke, he was a physician. He was a, a companion of the Apostle Paul. He wrote the book of Acts as well as the Gospel of Luke. So Gospel of Luke was volume one, book of Acts, volume two. And he wrote this to a Christian brother named Theophilus, probably a patron. Um, and he had put together this account. He tells us in Luke 1, 4, for this reason, so that you may know the truth about the things that you have been taught. And Acts specifically is an account, he tells us in verse one of our passage of all the things that Jesus continued to do and teach about the kingdom of God through his Holy Spirit, through his people, up until the time that Paul was in prison in Rome. And so then we wanna talk about why. Why are we choosing to study Acts right now? Well, we're at this transition time in our church. We're talking about what it means to be the people of God. And the book of Acts is very, very encouraging to us because it tells us what the church is, what God is doing, what Jesus is doing through the Holy Spirit, through his people, between the time that he was taken up and the time that he will return victoriously. And so the thing that we have to understand is that we are a lot like Theophilus. We need encouragement that these things are indeed true. And too often we read the book of Acts like it is the second and final chapter. And now we're just sitting here waiting for Jesus to come back because nothing happens like that anymore. But that's not true. 
And so we need, we need to hear this this morning. And so join with me in reading Acts 1, 1 through 11. That's on page 909 in your Bible, 266 in the children's Bibles. And God says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. The word of the Lord. So about two years ago, God gave me this revelation about this pattern that was in my life. And it was not a new pattern, but he opened my eyes maybe for the first time to what was really happening. And, and what was happening was this. We would get to the end of the night or the end of the day. We put the kids down and that would be like our discretionary time. And I would just get really restless. And it was like I was like looking for something. And so the things that I was, was doing was I was looking for snacks. I'd go stand in front of the refrigerator and eat cookies and other things. I would go sit on the couch and binge watch shows or watch movies. I'd go on Amazon. I'm a big reader. And so I would just buy books and then consume those too. And, you know, this never really took care of that restlessness. And so one night when, when I was sort of in this zone, God just spoke to me. And he just said, what are you doing? What are you doing? You, you are clearly hungry, right? Because you're consuming all this stuff. But the crazy thing is, you know that this stuff is not going to satisfy you. So why do you keep going everywhere besides me to find life and to get full? And that was a really eye-opening realization for me. And that's kind of where um, the disciples are. Where I was, was, you know, God lovingly exposed my fickle heart. My allegiance to him is so fickle day to day and even hour to hour. And the disciples were in this place because Jesus had been taken away. And I do not cast any blame on them. I mean, they had just been through the ringer. They, they had watched Jesus handed over to suffering and death and put in a tomb. And they're saying, you know, I really want to believe those promises, but it's really hard when our leader is dead and he is in a tomb. 
Like, what do we do? And so they needed some encouragement. And I know that the disciples and I are not the only ones who deal with that kind of thing. Not the only ones who live like we're still waiting to see if this whole Jesus thing is going to pan out. Still accepting offers for other people to come and be our kings and and give us purpose and, and help us order our days and our lives and fill us up. And so we really need Jesus. We really need Jesus to encourage us in the truth about him as king and the kingdom of God. And he does that. And we see that in this passage. And that's what I want us to look at today is he encourages us in our faith by revealing the power of his kingdom, by uncovering the temptation to defect that we are all gonna experience, and by revealing to us the high calling that we have received from the king of the universe himself to give our lives purpose. And so first, he tells us about the power of his kingdom. We look at our passage, verse one, right out of the gate, Luke explains something very interesting that now we are talking about another chapter in Jesus' ministry. His earthly ministry in his body was only the beginning of all that he began to do and teach about the kingdom of God. In verse two, he's taken up into heaven by God the Father at a very specific time. It was not an accident. It was not a coincidence. It wasn't like, you know, whoa, whoa, let me go back. I didn't get to finish everything I had to say. He gave his disciples all the commands they needed to have in the Holy Spirit, and he was taken up at exactly the right time. And his disciples, as messed up and ignorant and sinful as they were, they were chosen by Jesus. They were chosen by God to be his A-team. So they were not going to mess it up because he already knew who they were and what they were like. And he said, yeah, it's okay. We're going to use them. And then comes the big one. How did we even get to this place? Jesus suffered the most horrendous suffering and agony physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally that anyone could ever experience. And guess what? He died. And guess what else? He's alive. He came back. That's a big deal. It says that he appeared to his disciples over 40 days. So this wasn't like a fever dream. This was like making sure everybody knows what's going on. For 40 days, multiple people, he shows up, he is touched, he embraces them, he eats with them. He's not a ghost. This is not a vision. This is not a dream. This is Jesus fully alive. The word proof that's used in that verse is a technical term for evidence that is sufficient to establish objective fact to make something plainly known. This is not up for debate. This room has people in it. That piano is black. Jesus is alive, period, the end. And he's talking about the same mission that he's always been talking about, the kingdom of God. The mission is strong. Don't worry about the mission. The mission is doing just fine. It's like he went through all that suffering and death. And then he came back and he was like, man, that was unpleasant. Where were we? Let's keep talking about the kingdom of God. 
That's very unnerving to the enemy. He's just gotten both barrels of everything that sinful man, the world, all the demonic powers led by Satan himself and death itself could throw at him. And he's standing there again. And then in verse four, as if all of this is not enough, God the Father is about to outfit the disciples with the most powerful weapon in the world, the indwelling Holy Spirit who is gonna live with them forever and is the same spirit that raised Jesus from being very dead to being very alive. That spirit is at work within all of Christ's disciples. And so we don't really deal with this in our situation in America, but there are a lot of countries around the world where sort of the political climate, you have to make decisions. Decisions are always have a cost. Uh, there's always some impact from your decisions you make and who you vote for and all that stuff. But there's other places in the world where the, the government in power is, is being fought against by a rebel force and you have to decide who you think is gonna win. And that has drastic consequences because if your side does not win, you're gone. And so how do you evaluate that? How do you make that decision? And that's what, in a sense, Jesus is telling us in this passage is that's what's going on in the world is there is a kingdom of God and there is a kingdom of this world. And this is a zero sum game. Somebody is gonna win 100% and somebody is gonna lose 100%. This is not gonna end in a mediation where the kingdom of God sits down at a table with the kingdom of this world and says, well, let's just hash out kind of, well, what, what do you want? What do I want? And let's just sort of have a peace with each other. That's not going to happen. One of these kingdoms is going to win. And the whole earth is going to be ruled by one of these kingdoms. And so Jesus is asking us here to consider the strength of this kingdom as we make our decision as to who we are going to align ourselves with for the long haul. And so you may be saying, Hey, yeah, chose, chose Jesus. That's why I'm sitting here in my button-down shirt and singing songs this morning. But it's not that easy. You have to look at your actual life, the things that actually matter to you. It's not a surface decision. So you got to get deeper and you got to ask questions like this. Today, how do you and I spend our money? Whose kingdom are we supporting with our money? Who are we propping up? Who are we keeping in power? Who are you and I supporting with our time? How do we spend our time? How do we spend our prayer? What are we asking for? What do we care about? What do our emotions tell us about what's important to us and whose kingdom we want to see victorious? Another question we have to ask is whose leadership are we submitting to? If we're going to stick with the, the military thing, um, we are soldiers and we have a commanding officer who's giving us our orders. Who, whose orders are we taking? When we get up every day and we put our clothes on and we leave the house, who is orchestrating our day? Is it our flesh? And we're just subject to every whim of our flesh, every desire of our flesh? Is it the world, the culture that we find ourselves in and what they tell us is important and how you win? Or is it Jesus? 
Is it the kingdom of God advancing? How do you want me to do that in my life today? And that gets us to this, the second point is that Jesus is helping us out here by telling his disciples and telling us that there is gonna be a temptation to defect and to run away from the kingdom of God. Look at verse six. The disciples asked Jesus this question, whether he would at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. And there's, there's several things in this question, but two that are important to us um, are this. One, they ask him about restoring the kingdom. And so part, part of their question is, um, they want Jesus to bring back the golden age of what Israel has experienced. You know, maybe during the time of King David, when the kingdom was at its strongest, are you gonna restore the kingdom? Are you gonna bring things back to the good old days, the way that they used to be, something we're familiar with, something we know? And then it says, you know, to Israel, they're living in the Roman Empire. That's not always comfortable. And so they're asking, when are you gonna end this suffering? Are you gonna do that now? And there's something that we can't miss is that even in asking this question, there's, there's a very faint but very present desire to control. They want to know. I want to know so that I can be in control to some extent. And Jesus does not answer their question. In verse 7, he does not answer their question. What does he do instead? He gives them what they need by reminding them whose kingdom it is. What they needed most was assurance of God's ultimate authority, his goodness, his power, and his wisdom. You don't have to know the answers to everything because all you have to do is trust the one who is making the plans, the one who is setting the times and the seasons and working out his mission throughout all of human history very precisely. You do not have to burden yourself with all those other questions. All you have to do is look at him and listen to him and trust him. And there's gonna be things that we don't understand. There's gonna be things that disciples don't understand about his plan. But I would draw our attention back to maybe the ultimate example of that is the cross. Who thought that was gonna be a good plan? Nobody. If we want Jesus to be elevated as king, plan A, Seems strange that it's to kill him and put him in a tomb. So we don't know. We think we know. We don't know. Um, it reminded me this week as I was thinking about this, of my friend Paul Green, he's an African-American brother who is in Chattanooga. He heads up this inner city ministry called Hope for the Inner City. He is a wonderful man. Um, he is a man who is full of the Holy Spirit, very wise loves his neighborhood, loves this ministry with all his heart. And he was telling me when we were down there one time that it's, it's hard because they bring in like summer teams for kids to come on mission trips from other churches for about a week at a time. And he said, you know, something that's so discouraging is the people who come leading these teams with these kids from these churches that are predominantly white and wealthy. And so these white, wealthy, educated professionals come to hope for the inner city. It looks dinky. They're in the middle of this really ratty neighborhood, and, and they come in and they really chafe under his leadership because they think, well, sometimes they say, yeah, you know what, I heard you say this, but we're actually gonna, I think this way is better. We're gonna do it this way. 
And for some of those folks, it's because it's, it's hard for a black man to be in charge of them. And something that he said to all these teams, and he said to us when we went there too, was, we don't need your heads. We just need your heart and your hands. You know, because we like live here. Like we like live in this neighborhood. We've been here for years and years and years. We've been working in inner city cross-cultural ministry for years and years and years. And you came for a week and two days in, you're telling us that maybe you got a better idea for how things should go. That's not very helpful. And you're wrong. You're just wrong. And that's kind of how it is with us. You know, we, we want to give God our heads and keep our hearts in our hands for ourselves. We want to just learn everything we can learn. We want to be experts at the Bible, tell other people how they're wrong, explain how we're right, have opinions on everything. We don't actually want to go do the kingdom of God in lives of people around us. We don't actually want to love God and our neighbor with our whole hearts. We just want to kind of know everything. And so we got to ask this, where, where in your life are you doing this? Where are you trying to give God your head and keep your hands and your heart back for your own goals? Another question, where is your allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom conditional on the answer that you get to certain questions? Like the disciples were asking, when will you restore the good old days? When will you give me back that thing that I lost or that you took from me? And maybe when you do that, then we can start talking about me working alongside you for your kingdom. Or when will you end this suffering that I'm in now? I didn't sign up to suffer like this. What's your problem? Why did you leave me? Why are you letting this happen? If you'll take care of this, then maybe we can talk about me working with you in your kingdom. And, and last question here, where are you trying to give yourself heaven now? Because it's not time. What are you trying to consume? What are you looking for for life and for adventure? What are you looking at on your TV and on your computer screen? What are you trying to buy that you think is gonna fill you up? What are you trying to eat or drink that you think is gonna fill you up? Well, the good news is we don't need that. And that, that's the last thing we're gonna talk about here is what Jesus reveals to us about this calling and this purpose that we have from the king of the universe. Verse eight, he says, here's what your mission is. Here's what you actually need to worry about. You are gonna be witnesses to the kingdom of God, just like I was in the power of the Holy Spirit. And how is Jesus a witness to the kingdom of God? By affecting the kingdom, doing the kingdom. Remember healing people, removing demon possession from people and, and proclaiming the kingdom teaching the kingdom. And he said, you're gonna do the same thing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we have to ask, what is the kingdom of God? You know, we've been talking about that. It sounds nice, but what does that actually mean? And I think a, a good, simple way to define that is it's what we pray for in the Lord's prayer. It's God's perfect reign over all of creation, fully experienced on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're talking about. And it leads to the flourishing of everything, everywhere. Verse 11, these visitors, these angelic visitors show up. It's interesting to think, why did they show up? 
And I think it was to get the disciples moving because it's a rebuke that they, they give them. They say, what are you doing standing here staring up into heaven? Let's go. Let's get busy living. Come on. You've got everything you need. He told you everything. Now he's gone. He's coming back. Don't worry about it. But go. And I think it's also interesting that the, these visitors call them men of Galilee. Why do they do that? I don't, I don't know exactly. But one thing that came to my mind is I think part of that is to open their eyes to what's going on in the here and now. It's too easy for us to, to think about faith and the things of God in this theoretical, intellectual realm that never works itself out into our practical everyday life. But that's not what God's talking about. This is a very practical thing. Think about, think about if these men said to us, men and women of Knoxville, what are you doing looking up into the sky? Let's go. Come on. Theologian uh, Cornelius Plantinga says this, when Christians strive to make God's purposes their own, they tilt forward to God's restoration of all things, the final coming of the kingdom. They think about it, pray for it, study and work in ways that accord with it. Thinking personally as well as globally, they want the kingdom to come in their own hearts as well in the whole world. I think that's a beautiful quote, and I think it's exactly what we're talking about. And one very practical application of this in the life of somebody in their work, if you've read Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor, he mentions this story. Um, there's a man named Don Flo, who's a car dealer in Winston-Salem, where I went to college. And so I got to meet this guy and got to know him and his family a little bit, but something very cool that he did as, as a very practical way to work out the kingdom of God and bring it to bear through the means that God's given him is in his dealerships, he did a demographic study and found that um, African-American women were paying more than white males for the same vehicle. And he started to think, why is that? I don't think that our salesmen are racist, but it's because a lot of that population, there was a big difference in learning the, the dance, so to speak, of the negotiation on a price of a vehicle. And so these people over here that had the insider information ended up with a better deal. And that really bothered him. And he said, that's not gonna mark my business. That's not what we're gonna be about. And so that fact alone made him go in all of his dealerships to a fixed price on every car. We're done with the, the haggling. We're done with everything else because that's not fair. That's unjust. And there's things like that in all of our lives, all of our spheres of influence that where God has put us, where we can make that kind of difference and bring the kingdom to bear. In our work, it's working for the flourishing of your people. It's not work to give you a lot of money and make you win and make you feel good about yourself. It's to bring flourishing to your community, to your customers, to your employer, to the people that you serve, in our families. You know, it's loving our spouse and our kids not to get what we want, but to help them believe the gospel and make it easier for them to believe the gospel, that there is a heavenly father who loves them. And all of that is true. In our communities, it's the same thing. We, we care for the lonely, the marginalized, in our own neighborhoods, in our own friend circles. And what does it mean to speak about the kingdom, to proclaim the kingdom? 
We cannot only do the kingdom, we have to talk about it. And it is bringing the gospel message, articulating that message into the lives of people who are broken and lost and lonely and separated from God and spiritually dead. And Jesus is saying, I'm giving you the power through my Holy Spirit to do these things. And that's what this is about. That's what all of this is about. And so this amazing truth that we don't have to go looking for adventure. We don't have to go looking for fulfillment because the God of the universe has called us into the front lines of the advancement of the kingdom of God everywhere, in every nation. Everywhere. You don't have to leave where you are. You can stay right where you are in your job and your neighborhood and your friend circles and do that. And, and it's never boring when you are on the front line. It's only boring when you run away. That's the only time it's boring is when you are actually not with Christ in his kingdom mission. So where are you this morning as you hear this message? If you are someone who is not in Christ, if you are not trusting your life to Christ, then I have some very important news for you. You are going to be conquered one way or the other. It is going to happen. The earth will be filled with the experiential knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That is gonna happen. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he indeed is Lord. That will happen. But here's the good news. He is asking you to surrender your kingdom, to, to come over to his side, and guess what's gonna happen? He's gonna bless you. He is gonna give you life. He is the only king who conquers so that he can work for the flourishing of those people who he has conquered. We can trust him because of how he conquers. You know how he conquers? He lays his sword down. He lays his sword down and he allows himself to take what we deserve so that we can have life, so that we can be reconciled to God, so that we can be citizens of the kingdom, so that we can go with him out into his world and spend eternity with him. How amazing is that? That's what we're talking about. So wave the white flag. Be conquered by this king who loves you and who wants what's good for you. He wants to give you life and he's the only one who can do it. You can't give it to yourself. You know that. If you stop and think about it enough, you know that. And for those of us who are in Christ, the call is this, wake up, wake up. This is not a bus stop. You know, we're not sitting here waiting for Jesus to come back, trying to be as comfortable as possible at our little bus stop. This is a battlefield. He's given us more dignity than that. He's given us more purpose than that. He's outfitted us with his Holy Spirit to go and proclaim and do the kingdom of God until he returns. And guess what? He's gonna return. So you don't have to worry about how all of this is gonna end up. I don't have to worry about how all this is gonna end up. And we need to remind each other of that when we forget, because we will forget. But you know what? God loves us. 
And the one who is in us is more mighty than the one who is against us. Pray with me. Father, thank you for these men and women who are here today. Lord, I pray that we would all surrender our lives to you, Lord, that we would get on board with your kingdom, that we would find life in you, Lord, that we would lay our swords down in opposition to you and take up the weapons that you give us, the power of your Holy Spirit, the power to suffer on behalf of somebody else, the power to speak boldly into darkness. So Lord, go with us this week. Teach us how to do that. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.